Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're going right back to the phones. One of our favorite contributors, he fishes, he hunts, he does all aspects of the outdoors, and he's out there so much, a lot of times we have trouble getting him on. We love it when he's on. Mr. Nate Zielinski, and Nate, it's about time to start giving ice fishing updates. I'll tell you what, it's uh, the, the weather coming in tomorrow is definitely going to put on the spirit of, of winter ice fishing, that is for sure. Um, you know, It's that time of year to where everything's happening. We're prepping for ice fishing, we're open water fishing, we're elk hunting, we're waterfowling, or you know, whatever. If you have a passion as a sportsman fishing and hunting, it's going right now in the, the Colorado region, that is for sure. You're absolutely right, and I'm not even sure. I didn't get to talk to you because we didn't even know for sure if you were going to be in a place where you could call in, so I'm not sure what you want to cover today. But uh, one comment I do want to make, and we'll touch on it sometime during this segment, is that people look at this and they think cold fronts, fish are shutting down. Well, spring and, and early summer, that's true. Cold front fronts now, fish are turning on, Nate. Absolutely. You know, the, the biggest thing is you go by water temperature. That's exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about fishing frontal conditions. And, you know, if your water is cold and you hit a cold front, it's usually a negative effect. When your water is warm, which ours still is, and you get the cold front, it's, uh, it's a lot of times an improvement. Now, as the tail end of the storm leaves, so when you start talking Sunday afternoon, Monday, in a post-frontal condition, things might slow down a hair. Uh, but generally speaking, no, this time of year, fronts are, are nothing to be a, a huge negative effect on. And we also want to talk about, you know, tactics and how we go about fishing frontal conditions. And there's a lot to be said. You know, you can... You can go aggressive. You can go big, you know, in a, a post-frontal condition, especially as, a, as you have high pressure the front leads. Um, you, you can downsize. You can really spoon-feed the fish. And there's a lot to be said with that. But water temperature, like you said, Terry, is everything. I think a lot of people, you know, read books or they hear from their buddies, and everybody just associates things. You know, they associate storms and frontal conditions to negatives. Um, when in reality, you just have to find the positives and know when the fish will be active, you know, when associated with the storm and know the temperatures. And really, there's a lot that goes into it because, yeah, in the spring, fronts can kill you. In the fall, again, especially now when our water's warm, just starting to cool off, uh, it's a good thing to have this happen. So there's a lot that goes into it and more. just wanted to touch everybody about the fronts and, you know, how to affect fishing and, and what to expect. Well, you know, in this time of the year, too, it's a lot different, you know. And one of the biggest differences this time of the year well, first of all, in the spring, a lot of our game fish, especially the warm water species, are spawning. So that that cold water change kind of puts them on and off the spawn. It changes their mood, hard to track them. This time of the year, the fish are pretty much in the feeding mode. And now the question is, how does this water temperature affect the bait a lot of times, the forage? And a lot of times it makes that forage very vulnerable and puts these fish on feeding sprees. That's it, Terry, and you couldn't have said it better. And it's really for all species. I mean, uh, essentially what it comes down to is the temperature and the density of the water, and you have two effects. So, number one, the, the colder water is always going to, no matter what, affect the the bait fish or the food source, whatever that may be. It could be crawdads. It could be bait fish. It could be scuds. I mean, there's a million things that these fish feed on. And when you get that first good cold snap, any of the natural food that is at a weaker stage of life, whether it's old or hurt or sick, whatever, 
anything that, that is on, on a weaker stage of its life cycle, when you get these first good cold steps and that water really gets a good shot cold, um, it's going to kill it off. So you're always going to have more injured bait fish and wounded bait fish this time of year, which the fish love. It's just an easier meal for them. So you're always going to get a spike in activity due to that. And then more importantly, in my opinion, when you get the, the colder temps, you get that water that's a little bit more denser, um, it does more gathering. And that's the biggest thing that I look at, more so than, a, than chasing you know, wounded bait fish. Um, I get more excited about the dense water and the gathering of the food source. So again, when we talk about your Cherry Creeks, Chatfields, Pueblos, you know, uh, Boyd, places like that, your, your predominant water, walleye bass fisheries um you, know, you have a shad based lake and you have gizzard shad when the water's warm these gizzard shad are spread out everywhere um you know they're in very large schools but they're spread out and it spreads the fish out when you start getting this colder water denser water which this weekend is really going to finally put us into the true fall bite um it's going to get those that bait fish packed together to where a lot of times when you drive over it with your you know electronics it might even look like structure. I mean, we have so much bait in some of these reservoirs that when you drive over, you're going to be like, man, I didn't know there was a hump here. And it's really just, you know, millions of shad gathered up together. But the nice thing is when the bait gathers like that, it's going to really pull all your walleyes together. It's going to pull your bass together. It's going to pull your trout together. So now instead of the fish being spread out, you're going to have that, that ratio that we always talk about of having you know 90 percent of your fish and 10 percent of your water type thing so it's nice so now when you get out there there's going to be a lot more dead water but when you do find the fish when you learn to, to locate the bait and locate the fish you're going to be on top of a lot of fish so your your daily catch rate will drastically go up so we love the the colder temps and more the dense temperatures to gather that food it happens for everything I mean, we see our scuds gathering up in the south park area you look at even like a coconut bite and literally all of a sudden you get that water cooling off especially once it gets a little deeper down there that water gets dense and all the plankton gather up just a little bit tighter in that colder temperatures so your kokanee start gathering that's why that early ice for kokanee is so good just because again it gathers the food if the food spread your fish are spread if the food is dense and compact your your predator fish are condensed and you know compact together so it really is great for for the gathering effect and that's my most excited point of uh of the cold fronts and the colder water coming as we get into the fall bite you know a couple of things i couldn't uh agree with you more on the gathering of bait fish and what it does now this is going to vary a little bit by prey and species on how you approach them but especially in these shad based lakes i find that you got to quit trying to finesse and feed the fish and go to a reaction strike because you've got too many bait fish to compete with. Is that what you find? You know, I agree. You know, again, I mean, it's a lot of situational stuff, but I would say 90% of the time, absolutely. You know, a lot of guys will still be using live bait techniques and a lot of guys using smaller stuff where reaction is the way to go. And you can do it with a variety of things. I mean, you see a lot of guys, and we, we keep talking blade baits. If you, if you know me, if you've fished with me, you know I love the reaction of a blade. But fishing like a blade bait or jigging wrap, even a jigging spoon, but something you can work very aggressively. It's going to be the same size or bigger than your natural food. So if your natural food is three inches, you know, you want a bait that's three and a half, four inches. Give them that meal. This is the time of year where they're looking for that bigger meal. Uh, but reaction is going to be one of the biggest mainstays because if you subtle feed them, there's so much food out there that you blend in. You become one of a million. And it just does not have that effect on those fish. So you want to have that, that reaction that you want vibration, flash, you want a bulkier size. Um, and that's going to be a, a big triggering point to catch these fish. The other thing we talk about in a post-frontal condition, when we talk about spoon feeding them, the opposite, not reaction. More so in this type scenario, I, I think of it more as keeping my bait in front of the fish. So 
where in a post front, you see a lot of guys downsizing to a smaller presentation. Um, you know, you see guys using scent. You see these people really catering to the fish with their presentation. When, in my opinion, in a post-frontal situation, a lot of times in fall, our fish are going to be deeper, whether they're bass, walleye, trout, pike. Um, the biggest thing I try to do is locate these fish on my graph. You know, use your latest electronics. I'm running the XI-5 motor guide. I can literally anchor myself and i can just stay right on top of these fish so i'll use the same blade bait same jigging wraps you know if i'm pike fishing i'll use the same big tubes or big plastics but whatever my presentation is more so than downsizing and slowing things down i just keep it in those fish's face so use your electronics instead of maybe casting a blade bait and retrieving it back making the walleyes work for it go to a vertical presentation in a post-frontal situation and literally just you can see the fish on your graph put that bait right in front of them and literally just drive them crazy but if you keep that bait in their face you know long enough those fish will make that decision to take that bait i always use the example of us as humans if, if we were all sitting in an auditorium or sitting in a bunch of seats and somebody walked by with a big bowl of chips or popcorn if we walked by fairly quick you might grab a handful, you might not. But if I set it in front of you and I just had it sitting there long enough, everybody reaches in there and takes a bite. And it's the same thing with fishing, especially in that post-frontal situation. The fish are going to drop a little lower. They're going to be sitting deeper. Go vertical and just learn how to have flawless boat control and keep your bait right in their fish in the fish's face. Um, and after, you know, it might be five seconds, it might be 30 seconds, you're going to get that fish to trigger just because you're you're offering the same cadence over and over. And eventually, curiosity gets the cat and uh, those fish are going to take that bait because it's their reaction and they know they need to feed they're not willing to swim after it and chase it but you put it in front of their face long enough and they're going to take that meal so those are the the, the big things for me in a in a pre-front i'm aggressive i'm covering water in a post-front i'm using very similar techniques but i'm just holding in their face longer uh, allowing them to, to take that easy meal well i think you hit on something that i want to go back to and that's your electronics now there are shore fishing opportunities i mean like if you go up for the lake trout at granby right now up and down the front range there's a lot of rainbow trout close to the shore and there can be some bass and some even some walleyes close to shore but for the most part the kind of fishing we're talking about right now your electronics are probably more key than any other time of the year because when you're fishing spoons bait uh, blade baits and jigging wraps uh, johnny darters or whatever those different type of glide baits um you can wear your arm out in a hurry if you're not fishing over fish oh 100 absolutely and and i think yeah, that's and- that's very key it is key, and I think more importantly, it just shows you the fish are active. You know, if you find fish and there's no bait fish around, more than likely those fish aren't activating. They're not actively feeding. They're not in the mood. And it's so much easier to catch a fish that is feeding versus catch a fish that is not feeding. And that's the big thing we're trying to do is, you know, half the time when I go out looking for fish, you know, everybody sees me and they, you know, they see me getting excited over bait. And they're like, hey, man, that's great. We found bait, but we need to find fish. And, you know, half the time in the fall, I spend more time looking for bait than I do the actual fish. Because, again, I know if I find food, I know the active fish will be on that food as opposed to, to just finding fish. If there's no food around, again, they're not active and they're going to be harder to catch. You'd rather fish for five fish that are actively feeding versus 50 fish that are in a negative mode. You know, and that's a big thing that they use the electronics to find the weak fish in the right situation to create your success that day. Well, I'll tell you, I got a great example of that. I was pre-fishing for the, the um, PWT championship with... Um 
uh, uh, Jim, uh, <laughs> he's a good friend. I'm going on his last name. Anyway, we were up at, at uh, Bismarck pre-fishing for the pre-WT championship, and, and he kept taking me to spots he had marked on his map, and I was helping him out, and he said, look, I can get him to bite here, but I can't here. Well, there was fish on every one of those spots, but the only place that he was getting him to bite it's Jimmy Randash was where there was bait fish present also. And I told him, I said, Jim, I said, you just got to fish where the bait fish are. This is going to yep. be a tough bite, but other people are going to fish those fish. He went on to win the championship that year, thanked me when he got on stage and his tag phrase for winning that tournament was find the groceries. You'll find the fish. <laughs> That's a hundred percent true. And it's true for all species. I mean, for lake trout, for walleye, for bass, for trout, um, and again, I, I, you see people get so excited over finding fish, but if they're not the right fish, it does you no good um, in, in all situations. So, again, finding the, the active fish. And, you know, Terry, you get this as much as anybody. You know, we, we go to shows and we take calls and everything else, and everybody wants the magic lure, and everybody thinks it's a magic bait, when in reality it's really a magic situation. If you are on non-active fish, fish that are not around bait, fish that are in a negative mode, it does take the best lure in the world, the, the lure made of gold that costs a million dollars, and you might get a couple bites. If you are on bait fish and you're on fish that are actively feeding, so you're on fish that are literally eating to get that meal, that fish is willing to take a variety of presentations just because they're actively fishing. So when you talk about being a great angler and having the right lure, really it's finding the right situation of actively feeding fish, and that's what makes somebody good. You can catch them on a, on a wide variety of things. So, again, the, the guy that's going to do best, especially in these type of situations, pre-front, post-front, water's cooling off, Find the bait, find the fish. It's that right situation of engaging active, you know, active fish, um, and they're going to be far easier to catch than your inactive fish. So, so spend a little bit more time with electronics. I mean, even if you're on shore, you know, look for birds, look for drop-offs, look for a place where this interaction can take place. Uh, and that's going to be way more successful for you than uh, than just randomly fishing, that's for sure. All right, we're already over time, but I want two things from you. I want one, if you're trying to sneak a trip in yet this afternoon before the storm hits, where would you go? And then I want one for maybe we get this stuff supposed to start moving out Tuesday, Wednesday, and into next week. Where would you go then? You know, I, I'd break it down real quick. I would fish Cherry Creek right now for the pre-front walleye bites. The walleyes are gathering, the, the shad's gathering, uh, that bite is taking off. So we're catching a ton of walleyes at Cherry Creek right now, so I definitely think about that. And get on that bite right now because it's going to last six weeks. So get on it now and stay with it. The other bite, I'd say in a post-frontal situation, midweek, uh, I'd hit the South Park Lake. Spinny, uh, Antero, both these are going to be down to their final couple weeks of fishing, uh, and the fishing's great. That cold water has zero effect on the big trout. Um, so, again, post-front, let it clear up just a day or two. Uh, get to South Park and take advantage of those big trout before it closes for the season. All right, my friend, great to have you on. We will talk to you again soon. And we'll talk you, to you soon. You and I have an ice fishing trip to plan. We do. We do, that's for sure. All right, Nate, thank you so much. Tightline Outdoors, if you want a trip, folks, tightlineoutdoors.com and Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. You bet. Nate Zielinski, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones where we're going to change things up. We've been talking a lot of fishing, but uh, Brad Peterson's going to join us. We're going to talk some waterfall, and I believe he's out in a blind, or he just recently was this morning. And, Brad, looking at these bluebird skies, your calling skills probably got tested today. You know what, Terry? They definitely did. Uh, 
I was out there early, and the, the flight lasted good till about eight o'clock, and we stuck it out till about nine. And I figured, you know what, breakfast sounded really good to get a little food in me before I called into the show. Well, that sounds great, and I think you know we may see some uh, lower flying birds as we get into the the later part of the day, and certainly tomorrow morning. But let's talk about overall what's going on. You and I talked a little bit. This cold weather, you know, we've still got a lot of waterfall hunting come because you can hunt almost every month from now through April. Different types of things will be going on. But we've been talking about resident ducks. Did this weather push them out? You know, our our storm that happened, the cold front, about uh, 10 days ago, right before season opened, pushed a few of the resident ducks out. We still have a decent number around, and I think we're starting to get the leading edge of some of our early migrating northern birds. I know this morning we saw more birds than uh, we've been seeing for the last week, 10 days. So I think we're getting a few birds coming in with this front, you know, right before it. And as soon as that snow hits up, uh, you know, hits us and hits up north, I talked to some buddies in Montana, they're getting hammered. I really think that we're going to have a lot of the widgeons and gadwalls and teal, uh, a real strong migration next week of those birds moving in. Well, and that's kind of good news because you and I have been looking at it and wondering if this cold weather had already started them down. And with this cold snow we're going to get for a couple of days, they could have gone right on by. But it sounds like the timing, because we're going to have a couple cold days, we're going to start warming up by the end of the next week back in the 60s. Sounds like the timing is actually going to turn out to be really good. Yeah, I think the fact that we're not going to stay cold for too long is going to work in our favor and get some of those birds pushed from, you know, Canada and Montana and the Dakotas down this way. And it should make for a really good early part of the season on those real shallow ponds and wetlands from now to probably Halloween, I would say. that That's the area I'd be targeting. So take me through the next maybe six weeks. You said through Halloween, but when are we going to see? You're going to see some of the early birds coming down. Some of the residents are leaving. Then we'll see some of the later birds like the mallards and stuff. Kind of just take me through a, an outline of what you expect over the next few weeks. Yeah, we'll, we'll start seeing. Uh, yesterday we saw some sandhill cranes, which is usually the indicator for me of those widgeons and gadwalls coming in. They'll be working their way down, you know, some redheads. They stick around until the ponds freeze up. And typically, that's going to be around here the first week of November, those ponds start freezing up. And about that time, we're going to get our first wave, and a lot of times that's mountain mallards that come down, but we're going to get our first wave of mallards that come in. And the, the mallard hunting, if you can find a little bit bigger pond or a reservoir or maybe a, a little off-channel slough on the river from, you know, that, say, the 5th of November through the end of Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving, our duck season in the northeast region closes. So that period there, I'm going to target bigger ponds in the sloughs, and you're going to be seeing, you know, predominant, uh, a big push of the mallards and the pintails and, you know, some of the canvasbacks are going to start showing up at that point in time. So it's this is really my favorite time of year to hunt waterfowl because you have such a variety of birds coming through. You keep getting new birds. And the best thing about fresh birds is they're dumb birds. They don't know where to go to, to be safe. So 
the more birds we keep getting moved in, the better your hunting opportunities are. What do you think about some place like North Park where you do a lot of jump shooting? There's tremendous amount, both North Park and the the uh, down southern part of the state in the San Juan Valley. You get a lot of resident birds. They're a little higher elevation. Do you think those resident birds will still be good for a while? I think you're looking at uh, typically right around that end of October is when that stuff up there starts to, and it doesn't not freeze over like you're looking for ice fishing freezing over, but when it starts getting that skim ice and it stays most of the day or at least ice around the edges, a lot of those birds start moving out. So if you're looking to go to North Park, I would say, you know, this year we've had some cooler temperatures than the past few years. So I would be trying to get up here uh, in the next probably 10 days maybe two weeks at the longest before, uh, you know, you have a chance at showing up there and stuff's frozen and the birds have left. All right. We got about a minute left. Last time I'm going to ask you, I know you've also been out fishing. Any uh, any tips on someplace somebody might want to squeeze in something yet today or maybe as it starts to warm up next week? You know, yesterday I went out and hit some ponds. The pond fishing's phenomenal, and I know one of our favorite places, St. Brain Ponds, they put some trout in there. Uh, the pan fishing's good. The the bass is good. So those ponds are really good this time of year. The fish move up towards shore. That moss has started to die down. And if someone wants to get out just for a quick trip, that's what I'd recommend people looking at. All right. And if somebody wants a, both a waterfall or a fishing trip, you're guiding, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me at Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook or give me a call at 303 303- Eight two nine three nine nine eight. All right, my friend, we need to get out soon. Yes, we do. All right, thanks. Good hunting. That's Brad Peterson. Thanks. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right back to the phones. Joining us from the Blue Quill Angler, one of their guides, is uh, Buck Meyer. Good morning, Buck. Hey there, Terry. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful morning right now. I guess it's going to change, but, you know, we'll still get lots of warm weather. And I think one of the things people do is they're too quick to put away their long rods in the fall, aren't they? Hey, I, I totally agree with you. You know, even though we've got a snowstorm on the way, it looks like even toward the end of the week this week, we're going to have some nice weather to get get out there and uh, do some fishing. You know, and some of my best trips on, in Colorado fly fishing, I've been right in midwinter, but let's talk what's going on right now. Somebody wants to try to sneak something in this afternoon or maybe when it starts warming up next week. What's going on out there in some of the rivers you guys are active on? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, kind of uh, one of the rivers that's our um, sort of bread and butter uh, at the Blue Quill and a place that we've been guiding for a number of years is the South Platte down near Deckers and and also the Cheeseman Canyon area. Um, So I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Yeah, tell us what's going on, what are the flows like, and what are you seeing, and how are you fishing them? Yeah, absolutely. So I was just taking a look at the uh, flow chart this morning for the, the flow coming out of Cheeseman, and Looks like it dropped down a little bit from about 107 uh, where it's been in the, the past week. Um, it's down to about a 88 CFS down there. Um, you know, this time of year, we're looking at really low, not super low, but lower flows, um, a little bit more clear water. Um, 
which really offers you an opportunity to do some sight fishing out there. And I think that's a key part of um, fishing this time of year is being able to locate the fish that are actively feeding and um, really targeting those fish that are a little bit more active. Um, you know, that also means that you need to be a little bit more stealthy out there. And, and um, if you're out there fly fishing, you've got to have a really subtle presentation. Um, you know, mainly what we're doing out there is, is nymphing. Um, you know, uh, this time of year, we're also seeing some smaller flies or smaller uh, naturals in terms of bug life. So um, you've got to go with some smaller midges and uh, blue-winged olives. Um, the, the blue wings that come off this time of year in the fall are going to be much smaller than their cousins that come off in the springtime. So you're looking at size uh, 20 to even down to size 24 flies to imitate those blue wings. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the presentation side of things really quickly. We really like to use some yarn indicators out there rather than your typical thingamabob or um, some of those bubble indicators that we're using for nymphing applications. Um, the yarn gives you a, a, a nice sensitive platform to be able to uh, detect the strikes. And a lot of times those strikes are very subtle uh, this time of year. Um, you know, if those trout can suck in a fly and spit it out as fast as you can blink. So um, that yarn is really important. It also is, a, it makes less of an impact when you cast. Um, it's a uh, much more sensitive uh, landing on the water once uh, once you cast. And I think that's important. A lot of those fish see a ton of those uh, bubbles go over their head. And, uh, um, you know, that yarn also looks a little bit more natural. So, um, yeah, I think steering. Uh, go ahead, Terry. I was say I think that yarn a lot of times, especially I use white sometimes. It almost looks like a little bit of foam, doesn't it? Absolutely, a little bit of foam. I also like the tan. It looks like maybe just a leaf floating down the river. You know, one of the things you know, you're talking about the low flows here. Two things we should point out to people because we're coming off a year when we had some low water and and warm water temperatures. This time of the year. The low flows are going to make the fishing more technical, but the fish are very healthy because the water temperatures are low enough to hold a lot of oxygen. Yes, absolutely. So uh, that's a big factor here. Um, you know, for a lot of the summer, there have been quite a few voluntary closures across the state um, due to um, low flows and high temperatures. And what that means for the fish is um, less dissolved oxygen in the water. So now that the water temperatures are cooling down, the fish have some more oxygen and um you know, the temperatures are, are key for the fish as well. Once the temperatures reach about 65 or 67 degrees, I think is that key number, um, the fish really slow down um, and they kind of just go and hide. Um, so now the fish are happy. You know, the temperatures are cooling down. Um, fish are really starting to feed. No, you're, ab you're absolutely right. I think it's good. Now, are you catching mostly rainbows and cuts in the plat? I mean, that's been my experience. But what are you mostly focusing on? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's quite a few rainbows in there and, uh, you know, the hybrids, the cut bows, we call them. Um, also, uh, you know, you're seeing some browns in there as well. Um, I was just out the other day and um, hooked into a couple of nice browns. And I think the browns are still pre-spawn in the, in the plat right now. I think um, there's a few of them that are starting to pair up. So that's something to look for when you're out there as well. You know, if you see uh, brown trout that are paired up on reds, um, you know, go ahead and leave them alone. What, what about, you know, a lot of the browns and some of the rivers? Like, you guys also guide on the Colorado, and a lot of times in the fall we'll focus on those browns. We'll fish a lot more aggressively than you are for the rainbows and cutbows on the plat. Are you hearing much what's going on in the Colorado? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we're kind of seeing a similar situation up on the Colorado. Um, you know, if we're talking about the uh, partial area up there, uh, right around where the Williams Fork comes in um, and meets up uh, with the confluence there at, at the Colorado, that's one of our favorite spots to fish in the fall. And, um, you know, despite the low flows, we're still seeing a pretty good run of, of brown trout moving their way up into the river, um, up into the Williams Fork in particular to go spawn. And, um, you, you know, we've been catching some big ones up there as well. Um, do, do, you yeah. change, do you change your tactics up there? I mean, uh, my biggest, I love going after those browns and throwing some streamers at them. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, while you can always catch fish on uh, smaller midges and mayflies and maybe some attractor patterns, I almost always will fish something like a Pat's rubber legs up on the Colorado uh, stonefly imitation. Um uh, you know, it is a great time to go and use some streamers out there on the water. Go big. Go big or go home. <laughs> well, you know, those browns are eating small fish, especially the big ones, to sustain themselves. They need some body weight. And I think a lot of a lot of fly fishermen, you know, they come up learning to do drifts, natural drifts, and they use the river to position the fish and make their presentation. And the same thing happens when they go to still waters, when they go to fish these big browns with streamers. I think they're a little hesitant because now you have to give some action to that, and it's a little different presentation. Do you think a lot of fly fishermen kind of takes them a while to understand that? You know, I think so, but um, once we, uh, especially when we have clients out on the water, once we get them going on, on streamer fishing, I think it's become second nature. And one thing that I really like to do, a lot of times I'll even bring two rods and I'll fish my way up the river with a, a nymph indicator rig, and uh, I'll work my way back down the river with a streamer. Um, you know, I think a common, a common misconception uh, with streamer fi- uh, fishermen is that you've got to cast upstream. That's kind of the opposite. I like to make a downstream cast at about a 45-degree angle on the river and let the streamer swing downriver. And then what you're going to do is uh, retrieve your fly back to the position where you're standing. And um, I think a big key there is also varying your retrieve until you figure out what the fish like, Um, whether it's a slow strip coming back or uh, short strips coming back. Um, so I think that's a big key in streamer fishing is uh, just figuring out what the fish are keying in on is in terms of presentation. You know, Buck, I want to go back to the plat for a minute, too. You talked about the extremely low, clear flows, but happy fish. A lot of times, I think people just charge into the river. A lot of those happy fish are pretty close to shore. Do you really try to look from a distance and maybe make your initial cast well before you get in the river? Hey, yeah, that's a great point, Terry. So, um, you know, I think stealth is uh, a, a key part of what we're um, using this time of year to, in, in order to get into some of those fish. And um, I think you're right about the, the fact that, you know, it is a good idea before you even jump in the water. Um, take a look around. Some of those fish you're going to find are hanging just a, even a few inches from the bank. So, um, you know, if you can spot some of those fish that are hanging right along the bank, if you can make a cast to those fish before you get in and disturb the water, that's definitely a good way to go. Now, we've got about a minute left. You've talked about the Colorado, the Platte a little bit. Are there any other uh, rivers going on that you guys know about that maybe people might want to try in the next few days? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you one little secret here, and um, not going to be a secret for very long, but uh, the Blue River below Green Mountain is fishing very well right now. I was just up there the other day, and uh, Lots of hungry fish up that way. Um, that is one place where you're going to find a little bit 
a better flow in terms of, uh, I think it's running about 270 CFS. And um, I was reading that, uh, you know, with downstream reclamation projects, they're going to keep that flow up for a while. Um, that's a nice spot to check out. And then also, you know, some still water opportunities this time of year. Um, I think you guys were talking earlier with Nate about uh, the South Park area, Antero, Spinney, 11 Mile. Um, we're seeing a lot of big fish coming up and moving into the shallows. Um, so don't leave stillwaters out of the equation either. That's It's a great time to get out there and fish in stillwaters as well. Oh, it absolutely is. we got to go, but if people want to book a trip with you, how do they find you guys, Buck? Um, absolutely. So uh, you can either give us a call at the shop. Uh, I'll give you the phone number real quick. It's 303-674-4700. Um, you can also check us out online, bluequillangler.com. And uh, feel free to stop in. We're always happy to give you advice and uh, get you set up with a trip. All right. Thank you, my friend. Great report. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks so much, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. That's Buck from uh, Blue Quill Anglers. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And joining us on the lines from the Fishful Thinker Guide Service and Media People is Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning, buddy? You know, I'm doing good. I think I'm doing better than I might be doing tomorrow morning. <laughs> the weather looks like it's going to change. You know, Ronnie, I saw the notes that you want to talk about trout fishing up and down the front range. And I think that people forget and it gets overlooked and underutilized because those trout tend to go deep, not be as accessible during the warm months of the year. And I think people forget to concentrate on them. But, boy, when the weather starts to cool, that may be one of the best opportunities in Colorado's front range. Absolutely, Terry. I mean, these lakes get heavily stocked with trout. There's no doubt about it. Um, and a lot of the bigger lakes, especially the lakes that have some depth to them, like Horsetooth, Carter, Boyd, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, you know, those lakes get carryover trout as well. So they get trout that uh, have been in the lake for maybe a year or two or three. And if you can make contact with the the bigger ones, the ones that are the carryovers, people will be absolutely shocked a lot of times at the quality and the size of the trout that you can literally catch right here on the front range, Terry. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, another thing, too, is because the cool water tends to move them around the lake, they're comfortable both shallow and deep, it becomes something you could do from a boat and from shore. Absolutely. They're definitely accessible from the shore. A lot of the lakes that get stocked, if you're just looking to catch you know, maybe not giant trout, but you just want action. Maybe you have kids or you've got people in from out of town or you're just getting into fishing. Looking at that stocking report for these lower lakes and then going to those lakes, without a doubt, you, you know, if you're within a couple hundred yards of the boat ramps where those fish usually get dumped in, those trout are going to be shallow. They're going to be very, very easy to catch. Those are kind of easy trout. If you're looking for maybe some of the bigger, the carryover trout, it really absolutely becomes about finding the bait fish in these lower bodies of water, especially these shad-based lakes. You really got to locate the bait fish. This time of year, the trout, they love these colder water temperatures. They're as happy as can be, and they're feeding up heavily this time of year in these bodies of water. So if you locate the bit, the, the, the bait fish, a lot of times that's going to clue you in, and the trout will be right around them, Terry. Well, you know, it's true of a lot of the species on the Front Range right now, especially in the shad-based lakes. But in any of the lakes, I know you fish horse tooth a lot. It's got a variety of uh, 
variety of bait fish. Boyd has a great shad population. So how do you approach it now? Like a lot of times with the warm water species, we're looking for walleyes, bass, wipers, depending on the lake we're on, to be maybe below these bait fish, maybe at times chasing them to the surface, or as the water gets colder, going deeper. How do you follow the trout? You know, it's a little bit of the same, Terry. Uh, I don't do a lot of trolling most of the year, Terry, especially since I died out of a out of a bass boat. But this time of year, I absolutely do troll. I, I pick areas of the lake that I want to cover that I have experienced that I've seen bait fish in this time of year, and I'll troll around with some presentations out behind the old bass boat and look for those fish on the graph. A lot of times I'm going to catch them while I'm trolling, and a lot of times it's really easy to pick off the little ones. The stalker trout that just went in, they'll fight just about anything trolled behind the boat. So those are really easy to locate. But, you know, I'll troll around and look for larger pre- larger returns on my electronics this time of year, especially larger returns that are in and amongst the balls of bait that I'm seeing. Those, you know, I don't really care what they are, Terry. They could be walleyes. They could be wipers. They could be real big smallmouth. Or they could be big trout. So I'll pull in on those, and I'll fish those vertical a lot of times. Once I've kind of located the area in the lake, I'm seeing those returns, Terry. What are some of the baits and presentations, both for trolling and then vertically, that you like to use? Well, you know, there's really two go-to ones for me, Terry. And these will work from the shore as well as from a boat. But they're kind of a no-brainer. If you're throwing a shallow running dirt bait this time of year, and just about any body of water that's got trout that are moving shallow, they will absolutely wreck a little cutter 90 or something like that, Terry. Uh, that's kind of a no-brainer. A lot of times if people are struggling to catch those fish on a jerkbait this time of year, it's most likely that they're fishing it too slow. Trout really, really like speed, Terry. They're, they're the kind of fish that they want something that's burning by them. And so fish those jerkbaits really fast, or even fish them on a straight retrieve or more of a pulling motion. But keep them moving if you want to target the trout. If you're looking to get the walleyes or the small out to bite those jerkbaits this time of year, a lot of times it is going to be a longer pause as the water gets colder to get them to bite. But the trout want it moving fast, Terry. Now, the other presentation that I do the bulk of my damage on is kind of a no-brainer, and Chad's been filming it for year, years, and we tell just about everybody that asks, you know, you stick the built minnow on a jink at this time of year, Terry, and it's pretty hard to beat that as far as trout go. Uh, you can do it in the rivers. You can do it up high in the mountain lakes. You can do it down here. As long as it's a body of water that allows you to have an artificial bait that is scented, um, you can go ahead and use that gold minnow. That gold minnow on an 8-ounce jig head or a 3 or a quarter-ounce jig head, it's just tough to beat, Terry. It's very, very hard to beat. The trout love it. All the other fish will bite it as, as well. So that's kind of a no-brainer, Terry. That's what I tell people that, that ask me that are new to the state, what should I try? Well, another bait that's just a no-brainer is just a simple spoon, like a cast master or something. I mean, just cast from shore. You can cover water, trolled. If you're, you know, if you're not into somebody who understand, or feels confident with soft plastics. And But you're right. These trout, they love a, a reaction-type presentation. And you can just have the time of your life out on these waters, right? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. And another suggestion I'll make for shore anglers, because, uh, you know, a lot of times those are the newer anglers that are getting into fishing. Um, Maybe you're transferring over from utilizing something like power bait, salmon eggs, kind of a traditional thing that you've heard about, and you're looking to try new presentations. You can take that gold minnow, and you can rig it on uh, on a slip bobber, Terry, and you can fish that thing from shore. And you can either just suspend that thing out on that slip bobber, let it just sit out there. If there's a little bit of wind or any wakes at all that are going to move that bobber, that's going to add more than enough movement to that gold minnow that's hanging below it like that, Terry. Or you can fish that slip bobber with an aggressive kind of presentation where you're going to throw it out there and you're going to let it sink and kind of settle. And then you rip that gold 
you know, up until the point where it comes high enough that it actually, you know, you hit the slip bobber, and then you go ahead and you let it fall off slack line, and it falls vertical. It's a good trip to, trip to show people how they can fish vertical from the shore. You don't have to be out on a boat to fish vertical. You just adjust your presentation. And the beauty of that presentation, also, Terry, is if you have rod stamps, you can just cast that thing out there, and you can let it sit out there suspended with that cold pin out, and you can pick up another rod and go ahead and work the jerkbait in and around it. A lot of times, the jerkbait will pull in the trouts to, to the area you're in because it's so mixed off noise and it has the vibration and everything. But they'll come in a lot of times, they'll eat that less aggressive bait that's suspended right below that slip on. So it's a good one to approach from the bank as well as a boat, Terry. Yeah, the one thing you got to be careful about on Boyd is you're liable to get a white bass. <laughs> you're, you're liable to catch a lot of things doing that, Terry. And I will tell people, I know we're kind of running out of time here, but this year particularly, Terry, we did get cold weather a lot earlier than we've gotten the last three years, Terry. And right now I'm on horse tooth and I'm seeing water temperatures uh, right at 59 degrees today is what I'm seeing. Last year and the year before this same came at the same time of year, Terry, I was still seeing mid-60s as far as my water temperature. So water temperature is dropping early, and that will definitely allow people to go out and pass these trout why we still have reasonable weather, you know. I think there's some years the reason a lot of people don't get out and target them, Terry, is because there's already snow on the ground, and they've just given up on it for the year. But right now, this year, I think this fall, the trout are going to be very, very easy to catch around the front range. I couldn't agree with you more, Ronnie. Ronnie, if somebody wanted to book a trip, how would they get a hold of you? com. We have started booking for next year already, so if you're interested in getting on the calendar, give us a call. Uh, com or Chad Chance or OfficialThinker on Facebook, or you can find me, Ronnie Castellini, on Facebook. Uh, we, we'd like to get you on the books to take you out, Terry. All right. Thank you, my friend. We need to get out together soon. All right. Sounds good, Terry. You be, have a good one. All right. Ronnie Castellini. Oh, great. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. We've been talking about lakes up and down the Front Range, and it's going to be cold tomorrow. The weather's going to warm up by the end of the week. Now, first of all, I've said over and over, what Ronnie said about these trout up and down the Front Range is just incredible. You're going to get incredible trout fishing now up and down the Front Range, both from shore and a boat. You can fish with power bait. You can fish with lures. You're going to catch a lot of fish. But if you want to catch some warm water species, the Front Range is going to be good. But if you take a drive down to John Martin Reservoir, that cold spell, they're going to get some snow and stuff in Lamar out of this. When that passes and that weather warms but that water's cold, you will have trouble not catching white bass, and you're going to get saw guys thrown in with it. Now, it's a bit of a drive, but if you want to get that one last trip where it's one to remember all winter long, John Martin Reservoir is literally on fire right now. Covered a lot of fishing, covered some waterfall. Of course, join us every Saturday from 9 to 11 right here on The Fan for all your outdoor information. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You'll know what's coming up on this show. You'll get tips on stuff we covered. You'll get links to all our information. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We want to say thanks to Karen for making it look like I know what I'm doing. And thanks to Kyle for making this show run. We Thank will you. We'll let the Eagles take us to, to the top of the hour on your sports radio, 104.3 The Fan. Yes, she's doing-